You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Uh, As the title suggests, we do like to talk about things, everything leadership, and today in particular, we're going to be doing just that. My guest is a gentleman named Jim Fuller. You're going to detect a slight accent, and we'll talk about that. But uh, Jim, welcome to the show. Doug, thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, so uh, tell us first, uh, which part of the world are, are you, uh, do you count as, a, as your home country, your residence? I'm in a, I'm in a small surfing town uh, on the coast of Australia, down in Victoria. The nearest city that people might recognize is Melbourne. Okay. Um, that's about an hour and a half drive away from us. But the, the, our local beach was, um, well, it's famous in the surfing world because it's on the world tour, but it was made famous in Hollywood by Patrick Swayze in his movie Point Break. Yeah. And he and yeah. he went down to the beach, Bell's Beach, for the this big massive 50-year storm. That's our local beach. That's where I live. Nice. Very good. And and I, I know I've seen videos and films of all the events on that world tour. So um well thank you for taking time out and uh joining us here. Uh, give us a little bit of background story on how you got into the realm of uh leadership uh speaking coaching and uh, uh mentoring yeah uh, it's interesting you know I'm, I'm 51 years old and uh have been running my own coaching practice for nine and a half years now and i look back over all of the different chapters of my life and see how they all are relevant now how they all fit together to help me do what i do but the most obvious one uh was uh the last chapter prior to starting my own business i was um, employed by a multinational travel company and ended up for the last three years of that in senior leadership. So with 150 staff and, uh, you know, my, my region of the business that I had bought into, um, that I had shares in, so I had skin in the game, was turning over ballpark $100 million a year. So lots of numbers on the spreadsheets and lots of pressure to drive net profit growth quarter on quarter uh, but also, and, and that aspect of the, of senior leadership, I, I didn't particularly enjoy the, the incessant drive for profit growth. What I did enjoy was people. Um, and I loved the coaching aspect of leadership. So, you know, coaching the people that report to you and, and helping them coach their teams to thrive, to flourish, to, to expand into their potential as individuals and, and hopefully to engage with some sense of meaning or purpose to what they did. I really enjoyed that. And uh, towards the end of my um, tenure, my boss, my leader, uh, engaged an external coach to come and and the senior leadership team, we went away on retreat for a weekend. And this guy came in who was a a human behavior expert and he came in and and blew my mind, absolutely blew my mind with, um, you know, he was a psychologist as well, but Uh, yeah, just his understanding of human behavior and how we all processed information and how we communicated our behavioral styles. Uh, He was an NLP expert and and I was just enamored. I said, wow, what do you do? And he said, this, this is what I do. I teach this stuff and I coach people. And I said, this is what I want to do. And from that day on, I decided that eventually I would um, invest in, in learning the skills and practicing them and starting my own coaching practice. So that's what I did. Nice. 
Let me ask you this in your, in your business chapters of your story, uh, when do you think it was that you first realized that leadership was a thing? Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, because like for me with so many, you know, we start off on the tools and if you become good on the tools, if you start getting results on the tools, you get a promotion and then you're, you know, then you're a team leader and you're leading a team of people and you have to try and figure out how to get them to be as good on the tools as you were. And if you somehow get lucky at being able to do that to some degree, you get another promotion and and then you're a, a regional manager and then you've got to try and figure out how to get leaders to get people on the tools to get good results. And it, it gets trickier and most of us are not taught how to be leaders. We're not taught how to coach. We're not taught how to communicate. We're not taught how to engage people to the, the purpose or the mission of the organization we're not taught any of that um, i was lucky that the company that i worked for had a really good leadership program or programs many of them and actually it wasn't until i got into senior leadership um, that that i was engaged in a program and our our trainer our teacher uh, was also a qualified coach and had studied all of this stuff and she uh, she first introduced me to the ideas that there's a lot more to leadership than just um, showing up and telling people what to do. Yeah. You know, what you just described, I routinely talk to people about. In fact, I had a client session right before uh, coming into the studio to record today. And we were actually talking about that. He's an uh, up-and-coming middle manager in his company, a large global brand. I'm not going to name the name, but um, he was lamenting the sense of pressure that the expectation for him is to be more strategic in the way he shows up and the way he looks at the business. And we went on a journey talking about things and what he ended up describing in his own words in his own way was exactly that transition that you just said and for a long time I've talked about it I think we have a tradition in modern business we look out at our frontline staff and if we need a supervisory role we look for the best producer to take that role yeah. And best contributor, best highest sales, you know, whatever the metric might be, we tap that person to be that team lead. And then we get, we put them on this journey. And as you said, if they have some success at that first level, guess what? We promote them again. And yeah. it's only after that second, third, or maybe even fourth promotion that they're invited to join a leadership development program. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but what about the last five years? You know, what yeah. about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, you know. And uh, I, I was listening to um, something that Simon Sinek was saying this week and and, and I, I could relate to it and, and agree with it. And that he was saying that middle level management is the hardest level, you know, because you, you need to be this bridge between strategy and the macro design and, and direction, the big picture, and the board table and and the executive team who are you know thinking necessarily thinking strategically around where they need to go where the organization needs to go and then the frontline managers the people who are on the ground with the with the team on the tools and you know doing their best to produce or you know serve or whatever they're doing 
And so for that middle management level to try and communicate the strategy down to the front line, to try and keep it human, keep it real, keep these people engaged and 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 caring about what they do or feeling that they're a part of an organization where that they're significant and they make a difference. So it's, yeah, it's a tricky level, that, that middle level management. And most of them don't get leadership training. They just get thrown in there and, nice. and said, these are the KPIs you need to hit, make it happen. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, it, it is. It's a real conundrum. And often uh, people in that band of, of a larger company really get frustrated because they feel the pressure from above, but it hasn't been articulated to them as the real expectation. So pulling away from the, I'll call it more transaction-based focus, feels uncomfortable. You feel like you're betraying something by rising above that and working on these other things. And yet messages are subtle and sometimes even harsh that you got to do more. You got to, but it, it's not talking about transactional. It's talking about strategic. Mm. And um, if they're not coached or mentored on how to make that pivot and shift and understand what that expectation is, it, it's a real penalty box kind of environment for those yeah guys. yeah absolutely and you know here in australia we're we're behind the u.s in terms of embracing coaching as as a thing even you know here in in australia it's changing now it is starting to change but we're i i reckon we're about 10 years behind you you know when i started out as a coach organizations here don't have coaches what do you mean you're a coach like a football coach yeah yeah <laughs> no leadership uh yeah. coaching your leaders to be able to communicate with their their people more effectively and and create an intrinsic motivation which is what we need the old extrinsic motivation the old carrot and the stick is not uh relevant these days it doesn't drive the younger people right. these days you know right um, so anyway, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting there here in Australia, but we're a bit behind. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent convinced how far ahead we may be here in the States. Even I, I do agree that just in the, um, 12 years or so that I've been doing it professionally, I have seen a shift in, in my early days, opportunities were generally, what I call break fix. You know, you get a call from an HR director that says, Hey, Doug, we've got a guy in our leadership team that uh, is on the brink of being fired. Can you come work with him and turn him around? And it's like, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm yeah. guessing that ship is mostly out of the, out of the port and at, yeah. at full sail, you know? So, yeah. no, I don't like doing those kind of engagements, but now much more there, the requirements or, or the expectation it's actually flipped. It's, it used to be about 90, 10, uh, 90% yeah. was the break fix and 10% was let's do some real development and mentoring. Yeah. But, uh, now it's kind of flipped the other way and yeah. it, it's not a bad mark in your file to have a coach, you know, procured for you. It's, it's a growth step. It's a, it's a positive. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's, um, you know, if we can change, the perception, which, as you say, it is changing, that if your organization wants to invest in your development, that's a good sign. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and we should be wanting that. You know, and look, I, I think I think organizations are, are starting to realize um, that just because they can't measure, and, and they, it used to be called soft skills, 
which I think, you know, is a, a, um, a misleading term, but because they couldn't measure it so accurately that they weren't going to invest in it because they couldn't measure their ROI, blah, blah, blah. You know, but I think now, and especially after the pandemic, people are realizing, wow, our human resource is not only our biggest asset, but sits should sit very highly on our risk register as well. Because if the human element falls over, where we've got, we can't do what we do. Right. We need right. humans still, thankfully. Right. That right. might change one day, but we certainly need them now. And and so that the executive tables that I'm sitting around and and working with, and the board tables that I'm engaged with as well, they are actually having, they're forced now to look at this and say, what can we do? How can we be on the front foot? We need to invest in the development of our people, their resilience, their ability to communicate and connect. We have to keep this human, you know? So that's that's a good thing that's come out of the last couple of years. I've noticed a shift there. I would agree with you. And that ongoing shift also um, is positive. I tell the story and I've said it before on the show here and some of my listeners know the story. When I first was beginning my coaching process or practice, I turned to a really good friend of mine who was a well-accomplished CEO. He had worked a lot in the venture capital and private equity space doing turnarounds for money, money funds. And, um, we were, we were sitting at dinner and I was telling him what I was planning on doing. He shook his head and he said, I agree with you 100%. The world needs leadership development training and coaching, he said, but you can't sell leadership. I said, what? And he said, um, I will go so far as to say there's only 5% of CEOs in America that understand leadership. Mm. And if, if you're trying to, if you're leading off and that's your value proposition is we're going to help you develop leadership strengths and skills, you're never going to be able to sell it. And I said, oh, man, coming from you, that's uh, that's a real yeah. indictment, you know. And uh, yeah. so what do you think the alternative is? And he said, well, he said, you're going to have to sell something about organizational performance and, and, you know, better team strength and team building and things such as that. And but in your heart, you can know you, you need to get these people focused on a leadership journey and you can always turn the tide once you get engaged but he said uh you know you're, you're never going to get out of the gate selling leadership development and i went wow mm-hmm. okay well fortunately the long story short is uh, i think that tide has changed i think a lot more people are in tune with it and and wanting yeah help and and development in that space yeah yeah i think it it, it certainly is changing and um, and that's good. It's good for us. It means that, um, and we've got plenty of work to do. It's interesting, you know, when when I've worked with some CEOs in their first appointment as a CEO, and they get the role of CEO, which they've been aiming for throughout their career, and they, they finally get appointed. And so they're thinking, great, now I'm at this, you know, the executive level where I can be strategic and, and forward planning. And, and it's all about those, you know, the stakeholders and the this level and then they realize oh no i've still got humans in the mix i still need to be some sort of psychologist or counselor or coach you know and business would be easy and straightforward if it was all just strategy but then we put humans in the mix and it gets complex right yeah. because we yeah. we are complex creatures and uh, and i find humans fascinating and and the scale of 
functionality. You know, in some aspects, we are incredibly functional creatures, species. And then in some, on the same scale, but at the other end of it, we are so dysfunctional. You know, you look at humans and and the mess that we make of things, you know, um, and it's, it's interesting. So then leaders are put in a position where they have to try and figure out how do I get the best out of my people? Wow, that's not an easy question to answer. No, you know, um, but I think that I think, like you say, you know, leadership is um, now certainly something that people and organisations realise they need to invest in. Well, and and uh, along that line, on, on that spectrum you referenced, you, you get into the discussions. Uh, you know, Jim Collins famously said, "Get the right people on the bus," and and you know, others came behind him and said, "Well, they got to be in the right seat on the bus." And right, you know, we 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 try to work those kind of word pictures to help us get our head around what um, what this thing called leadership is about. So let me ask you this. When when you take one of those CEOs that's newly appointed, uh, where, where do you really start with them? I, I tend to start with um, asking them, what's the purpose of the organization? What's the higher purpose of this organization? You know, and if they say, well, we're here to make money and keep the, the shareholders happy, uh, then I'm asking them, yeah, 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 but why does this organization exist beyond that? You know, what's the benefit? What is, you know, so we're, we're looking for the mission statement, really, but not just a mission statement that sits in a desk drawer somewhere ticking a box. But the higher purpose that is the, the reason that everyone can come together, the North Star of the organization, the, the meaningful work right? Because humans need meaning. So if the if the CEO is not clear on that, I think that's the first place to start. And then with the executive team, so this is why we're here. Where are we going? Vision. And what are our agreed values in terms of how do we want to support each other with accountability to show up? How do we, how do we best think we should show up here together as a group of people all aiming for the same thing. So that's where I start. And then the conversation goes to, all right, well, we've got that, but how do we now get everyone on board with that and engaged with that and and have it meaning something to them down to the team level? You know? Yeah, I like that. And I'm a, I'm a big fan too of locking in on that sense of vision or purpose. Uh, I often, when I'm dealing with the executives that are in that, L2 and L3 level coming down a rung from the CEO office, uh, I will challenge them likewise right at the start. I'll say, well, what's your vision of what you're doing? And mm. if, if they quote me the, the gold letter quote on the wall, you know, at quarter at headquarters, I'm going, no, 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 no. What is your vision and purpose yeah. relative to that bigger one, you know? But yeah. if you thought about your specific domain, yeah, and I love that. It's still about 50-50 where the response is, no, I hadn't thought about that. I'm kind of waiting for instructions from above. And it's like, oh, yeah. no, no, no. You need your own personal. You 100%. Need to, you need to d distill that big one into the specifics of what your, your operating unit, your subsidiary, whatever domain you've got, you know, you need to make it specific to them. 100% and have your team, the people that report to you engaged with that and in, engaged in the creation of that even. And, you know, it's interesting, Doug, I, I enjoy uh, facilitating a conversation also with leaders around, okay, so this is the organizational mission. 
and you've said that you are you, you're engaged with it and you believe in it and this is your local team purpose that is aligned with that that's great what about your own personal purpose mm-hmm. you as an individual what is the meaning to your life yeah. you know and you don't have to have one if you don't want to but it's very functional to have a sense of meaning or purpose to your life beyond survival i say right so survival understand that's the the basic initial meaning or purpose i've got to feed my children put a roof over their heads etc i get that but beyond that what do you care about in yeah. your life what's the legacy you want to leave you know uh, and how does that then align with your team purpose and the organizational purpose because if you can find alignment between your own mission in life how how you want to positively make a difference in the world in some way shape or form if you can find alignment with that and that fits into the organization that you're employed by or that you run happy days you know yeah no i i I think that's awesome and that's a very important thing and i i want to come back and talk about that legacy question it's a it's a magic word in my mind uh but before we do that i'm looking at the clock here jim it's time to insert a little commercial break in our program but i want everybody to hang with us we're going to be right back after this very short message and we will lean into a couple more of these ideas so we'll be right back thank you business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too and the first step is going to dougthorpe.com Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. Uh, This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and my guest today is Jim Fuller. He is uh, a leadership coach. He's uh, written a book who is uh, that has gotten some great acclaim. We're going to talk about that in just a second. What I do want to do, though, right before we went on break, we um, inserted a key word that's pretty big on my radar, legacy. When we're talking about creating personal vision of what you're doing in a company, not just what your team or your department is supposed to be doing, but your own sense of purpose and vision, I think ultimately legacy becomes a part of it, maybe not for the younger guys as they're in the early chapters of their life, but certainly people that have accumulated a few years in the role and uh, have been on a journey in the industry. I know I occasionally, when I do get invited to work on these uh, larger corporate leadership development programs, inevitably there'll be an executive that is really he can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. He sees the runway to retirement and maybe it's two years away, three years away, whatever. And it's not uncommon for them to ask me when we start out one-on-one, they'll say, well, why do you think I'm doing this? I mean, I'm on the backside. I'm, I'm almost done. Why would they want to give me leadership training? And Whenever that happens, I always challenge them. I said, well, let's get right to the heart of the matter. Have you ever thought about your legacy here? If you've invested 20, 25, maybe even 30 years in this business or this industry, do you have a story, a legacy that you've thought about? And if not, 
why not start thinking about it? And more importantly, what do you want it to be? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, we're not going to be remembered for how many millions of dollars we made. We're not. By the people around us, the lives that we were, the relationships that we had, the people that we affected, they're going to remember our character. They're going to talk about the type of person that you were. Right. And how you positively impacted their lives. That's the legacy. It's interesting with legacy. Um, I, I can't remember where I first heard this, but it's a, a thought experiment. So you ask someone, do you know the four names of your grandparents? And they say, yes, of course I do. And they give you the four names. And then you say, do you know all eight names of your great grandparents? And most people don't. Right. And then I say to them, so your grandchildren, their kids will not remember who you were. Right. You know, you will be forgot forgotten. Right. You know? uh, and so that's important to remember because it's not about as much as the, the mainstream media puts fame in front of our faces and we know the famous actors and the famous politicians. And that's a tiny, tiny, tiny percent, tiny percent of the human population. Most of us won't ever be famous. That's not what legacy is about. Legacy is about what how did you positively impact the lives of others? Exactly. That's what <clears throat> legacy is, you know? And, and so for a leader who's in the last few years of their career and are looking towards retirement, of all of the 30 years of experience that you've had, how can you share that? How can you pass that on? How can you empower younger people with all of the lessons that you've learned in a functional, beautiful way so that you are remembered as the person that was in those relationships, you know, because the quality of our life is the quality of our relationships. Yeah. yeah. And to affect those relationships and and share that wisdom we have to get to the inevitable element of communication and i know that's one of your critical areas jim so i'll let you lead off just dive in that big pool of this thing called communication how do you like to frame that up and, and begin a discussion about effective communication well, first of all, because communication is is so apparent and and so necessary in every aspect of our life, it gets overlooked. We take it for granted because it's right there, and it underpins our ability to be effective in every aspect. So it's not just about relationship. You you can't have an idea and then manifest that idea into reality without being able to communicate it. Right. Yeah. You know, Einstein could have had his his amazing understandings of the quantum physical aspects of the universe, but if he couldn't communicate those, they would have amounted to nothing. Right. So communication is ultimately important in that. It's also communication, obviously, in relationship, certainly in leadership, uh, in every, like I said, in every aspect. And I believe that there is um, opportunity for us to become more conscious in our communication, more aware of the communication itself. Communication is not a telling. It's not me telling you something. Communication occurs when you and I come to an understanding. It's a sharing. Very literally, the Latin word communicatio, the noun, is a sharing. And communicare, the verb, is to make common. So communication is to make common. And, uh, you know, as leaders, our ability to communicate is completely determinant of our, our 
ability to be successful as a leader. If you can't communicate the purpose, the mission, the vision, if you can't communicate, which means understand your people and what drives them and where they're coming from. You know, if you can't communicate a value set of, of, of how we all show up here together, if you can't communicate feedback effectively, you can't coach someone because they're just going to close, fold their arms and roll their eyes and be defensive. So then I think that with communication, the place to start is the communication with self. Now, this gets a little bit deep and some people might think it's a bit woo-woo, but it's actually very practical. Your ability to get out of the way and not make it about you improves your ability to communicate because communicate communication is about us, right? But most of us are completely governed by our ego, our sense of identity, who we think we are. And our sense of identity is very, very um, gripping very tightly onto its ideology and its political beliefs and, and the way it thinks things should be. If you're in senior leadership, you got there because you were good on the tools. You've learned the hard way what works and what doesn't work. It's easy for us to think that we know how things should be done and, and hold on very tightly to that. Even if you're a nice person, even if you're nice and well-mannered, your ideas on the way things should be are still very firmly rooted in your sense of identity, your ego. So I believe the first step to a more conscious communication is to curate the quality of your mind, which is to curate the quality of your relationship with self, to become more self-okay, less defensive, and be able to let go of that and put that to the side and open your mind to other ideas, other ways, other people, other expressions, other people's stories as a leader. Because what you're wanting to do is you're wanting people to thrive <clears throat> as themselves, right? You're wanting them to bring their best self. Not You don't want them to try and be a version of you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Not, that's not going to work. So communication starts with um, with self, and it's ultimately important, I think. I, I like that. And I actually, I, I have spoken of that in the past, and I'm remembering a, a, uh, an event that I was speaking at, and I got the idea. Everything you said, I sum it up by saying, get out of your own box. Yeah. You're yeah, in your, yeah. you're in a kind of a box. And, and I had this great idea to demonstrate that I got a um, shipping carton, you know, the size that a refrigerator comes in where a man could stand in it and had that on stage and asked two guys to volunteer and come up. One of them I made get in the box and stand there. And then the other guy was standing to the side and I said, now I have a discussion you know, talk about the weather, talk about your, you know, favorite sports team, whatever, I don't care. And I was, I was out on a little bit of a limb because I hadn't tried this, you know, in <laughs> advance, but I, I had faith. And sure enough, just there was a basic breakdown in the communication because a lot of the sound coming out of the box was muffled. It was yeah. a little bit garbled and, and, um, you know, so then I had the one gentleman step out of the box and now repeat that discussion, you know, repeat what yeah. you were saying. And now yeah. there was clarity. Now there was understanding. And, yeah. and uh, you know, so I said to people that, you know, if we want to be effective communicators, we have to get out of our own box. And yeah, all those biases, conscious and unconscious, um, all those 
slants on the world and, yeah. and not saying that judgmentally, but just, we have them, we all have them. Yeah, that's right. And even we're speaking with limited experience sometimes in certain areas and, and yet that's where we hang our hats. So that can sure block effective communication if you're not willing to step out of that. And, and how, how did you say that something about self abandon self? I, I forget exactly how you said it. Yeah, I'm not sure, <laughs> but yeah, I can't remember what I said, but no, I, I hundred percent agree with you in that box. I love that, that, um, you know, that example that, the experience that you got them to go through in that moment, because that box, as you say, is our biases, our beliefs on the way we think things are. It's our attachment to the past. It's our hangups. It's our um, it, everything that's happened up until this point in time right now has created our version of how we think things are. Our version of reality is based on all of those beliefs and biases. And the the the, the more there are, the more distortion there is between you and and actuality. Yeah. What's actually going on. Right. You know, and the the more stuff I have going on when I'm in communication with someone, I'm distorting the information I'm receiving from them to match my version of reality. You know, so the work to do is to um open the mind to resolve with past, to come to a place of self-acceptance as much as possible, so that you're not still gripping or hanging on to the way you think things should be based on your past experience. And then I can be in communication with you and see you more clearly, you know. So let me ask you a question. If if um if you're the leader of a team and you've got to uh, share a direction, a, a new task, and you see somebody on the team that, uh, you know, their, their body language shifts, they, they've really recoiled against the thing you just announced. What level of ownership do you think the leader needs to take to deal with that person's perception and person's reaction to to bring it back to clarity mm. it's a great question and it really depends on the prior context that has been established you know if if that leader has already created a team culture where each individual has had the opportunity to express what the mission means to them and why they care about it where each individual has had the opportunity to contribute to the vision of the future. And if each individual and then collectively have been a part of personalizing the values and, and really diving deep into these words that are not just words sitting on the office wall, they're, they're behaviors that we all have agreed to support each other to show up this way. If you've got a team like that already established, then that's a very different story because in that moment, the leader can can ask the person, how does this align with the purpose, our team purpose for you? You know, and, and how let's run this through the litmus test of our culture, our mission, vision and values. And I, and I, I would love to hear from you how, how you would do that, how this sits for you. But if you, so that's one, exa one example. But if you've got a team, so someone's leading a team and they haven't got that culture understood and clearly defined and everyone engaged with, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. going to be in trouble. You're going to be in strife then. You're in damage control. If someone recoils in that moment, you're not going to be able to get them on board. In that moment, you need to uh, navigate that, finish the team meeting, 
to the best of your ability and then organize some one-to-one coaching time with that person and with each of them and all of them and primarily be doing what you can do to build a team culture specifically yeah. you know with clarity so yeah I, but one more thing doug i think it's it's really important i was talking about this yesterday um i think it's really important to have consent to coach consent to communicate yes. yeah that if, if that if the person has given me permission to coach them then it's so much easier to give feedback you know and that can look like um as the leader saying to the team member in a in a one-to-one I want to share with you um, part of what drives me, part of the meaning in my work is that I hope to create an environment that's conducive to you thriving. When you, when I see you happy and thriving and doing your best work, when I see you skip out of the office at the end of the day on cloud nine, oh, I'm good. That's me. That's what drives me in my leadership role. And also part of my responsibility as a leader is to do what I can do to help you thrive right? And continue to expand into your potential. So is it okay with you if I dedicate some resource, some time, energy, and money, coaching, supporting, mentoring, and guiding you to live your best professional life here? Is that okay with you? And they say, of course, that's okay. <laughs> yes, right. you can dedicate resource to me. And then, so now you've got permission to coach. Right. I like that. Uh, and and that all does go to that, uh, you know, building that team culture that's, um, cohesive and, and functional. And, you know, one thing that I've come to believe after many, many years in the trenches and out on the front lines and leading and organizing businesses, um, what, what I tell people, I firmly believe that if, if you've done a reasonable job of hiring people to come into your business, I realize it's a big if, but if you have, and most people can figure out how to do that, those people you've hired want to do the right thing. Mm. Fundamentally, categorically, they want to do the right thing. So as a leader, the challenge is to show them and tell them what that is. What is mm. right? What is a win? What is success? And, and that's, I bring that up because to me, that's one of the critical elements of communication when you are in a team setting. You have to clarify that standard of what is right. And if you've failed to do that, the symptom of that is inaction. Your, yeah. your, your people are going to freeze in place and essentially do nothing. They're not going to do the wrong thing because that's exactly opposite of what they want to do. But they don't know what yeah. the right thing is, so they're going to do nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's better to do nothing than to fail. Uh, kind of thing. Yeah. So that's part of the communication, isn't it? To communicate um, what does success look like here and how, how are we best set to, to achieve that? Yeah. You know, and also to engage them and, and create psychological safety. You know, you want to create an environment where people feel safe to make mistakes, where they feel safe to have crazy ideas, where they feel safe to challenge each other's ideas without challenging the person. Right. So how do we create a team environment here where I can put an idea on the table and welcome you to challenge the idea and pull it apart without taking it personally and feeling attacked? Yeah. You know, yeah. that that can be communicated from the leadership level. Yeah. 
And you said it earlier, it's so important that leaders do work to build that within the team. And I know um, Patrick Lencioni in his books has done a great job of defining uh, team charter and team contract on how to operate together to uh, build that environment. I tell the story, I was working with a team one time, large corporation, global brand, and uh, we had agreed we were going to have a workshop and we were going to visit the team charter and the team contract. The manager that was in charge, had, had I had shown him what that looked like and what it meant, and he loved it, and he said, yeah, let's do that. And as I was defining what goes into the team contract about being able to work together and set some guide rails and ground rules and all those good things, one gentleman at the table said, oh, we don't need that. We know each other. We can, you know, we, we can blow through this part. And there was a lady sitting next to him and she said, you know, Bill, in all due respect, I don't think we do know that. Yeah. You know, yes, we've worked together for a while, but I don't think we know the kind of detail that Doug's talking about. Yeah. I think we need to spend some time hammering through this. Yeah. So he just said, all right, whatever, you know, one of those kind of responses. But as we got into it, he really got pretty well energized. And uh, about an hour and a half later, he turned to this lady and I heard him. He said, I owe you an apology. He said, I, I was just really ignorant about all this and I'm so sorry. Yeah. Lovely. And he said, uh, this is great. What we got here now, we're, we're going to be able to do so much more than we ever did before. And this is going to be good. So. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think getting to know each other on a team getting to know each other and and continuing to improve the way we work together and exist together in our relationships, that doesn't finish. There's sort right. of a box that you tick and we've done that bit. You know, creating a good culture in, in a team and then hopefully in multiple teams so that you have an organisation that's predominantly got a good culture, that's not, a, that's not something that you just do once. Oh, yeah, we did that years ago. No, no, no. We need a culture where culture is a focus. We need to be talking about our culture all the time. We need to be talking and discovering our working relationships continually. You know, it's like a you imagine a football team. Here in here in Australia, we have a thing called Australian Rules Football, and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it on on any of the sporting channels. But it's, I have. Um, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great sport. It's a really great sport. No pads either. The 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 guys are hitting each other pretty hard with no helmets. Anyway. Mm -hmm. I use the analogy of, of a football team because I love the sport. A football team, the better those players know each other, the better they can work together as a team. If I see my mate over there and I know that he prefers to receive on his right-hand side, I'm going to kick it to his right-hand side. And, and likewise, if he knows that I'm better off my left foot, he's going to lead in the direction that's going to make it easier for me to get the ball to him. But we know each other intimately. If he knows that it was my son's birthday that day that we were playing on the game and that I've got a bit of extra energy in me because I'm celebrating the birthday of my son or the death of my father or something. Yeah. You know, the more we know each other, the better we can work together as an, as an awesome team. And we should always be um, communicating like this. So yeah, uh, that example you gave of going into the detail of what does the charter look like and what could the contract look like in detail about how we're all, um, agreeing to show up here together and do our work, you know? Yeah. Well, that same team, I just, one more quick story on that, that same team, I, I had done an assessment 
exercise with him in advance and we got the book and we were plotting sort of the mindset of the whole team and the, the tool I was using did a plot of, um, you know, uh, it was a four blocker grid thing. And so all these team members were up in the upper right-hand quadrant, all pretty tightly clustered, but there's one guy way over <laughs> a real yeah. outlier, you know, and um, I had previewed it with the manager and he said, I think I know who this guy is, but I'm going to let it evolve naturally. And I said, well, you know, as, as your coach here, I'm going to tell you, we're not going to spend a lot of time figuring out who that guy is. We're, we're going to just have our discussion and keep moving forward. So we go into the team meeting and we get to that place on the agenda to open up this survey and we see this result. And right away, one guy raises his hand and goes, see this dot over here? That's me. He said, <laughs> I know I'm the outlier. He said, I, I honestly, I don't feel great being on this team. I feel like I'm always right. looking another direction. I'm always contradictory. I'm always off the bubble. And he said, I really don't know what I want to do about it. And before I could say anything, a couple of the people on the team looked at him and said, please don't feel that way. You have no idea how much we appreciate you being all of that. Right. We need you doing that. We need you doing what you do to keep us in check and keep us true yeah. to the mission here. And yep. if, if, you know, and then one by one, they kind of said, if I ever made you feel bad, I am sorry, please don't take my challenge Whatever. to you in a negative way. It's not personal. I'm just wanting to have the discussion and, and, you know, it, it really got into a, a, a really healthy, um, discussion about the possibilities there and he just said oh okay well i'm, I'm gonna keep doing it and they said you know you, you go guy so that's the, yeah. that's back to that psychological safety thing that you touched on yeah yeah and you know we when you think about it if you're working full-time you spend more of your waking hours at work than you do at home Right? right. So it's a big chunk of your life. So it shouldn't, we shouldn't call it work life balance because that insinuates that when you're at work, that's not life. It's yeah. a big part of life. So it's a work home balance. But if, if work is um, the majority of your waking hours, then shouldn't we be looking at how to make that environment um, the best possible? Right. You want to live the best life you can live, you, whether you call it a happy life or a contented life or a, a life where you've made a difference, whatever that is for you. Right. It's important. And for, for it to be um, an environment that is conducive to you living your best life, we've got to be communicating and talking about that. You know, we have to. And, and it's interesting because for, for a lot of males, and I'm generalizing here, but for a lot of males in our cultures, our boys are taught as, as little people, our boys are taught suck it up, man up, harden up, toughen up, don't cry like a girl, we, we tell our boys, and that you are not allowed to be emotional and you're not allowed to be vulnerable because that's a weakness and you will you need to be a dominator because it's the patriarchy, right? So we have created generations of males who can't even access their emotions, let alone communicate them. But they're going on. We're all we all have emo we all right. experience emotion, right? Because we're human. Yeah. But we've got these men that don't know how to communicate on that more human level. They can communicate about results and goals and strategy, and this is the way we're going to get it done. 
but they can't communicate about their feelings. And I think this is an area that we need to improve because it's on that emotional level of connection with other people that we create nourishing environments, you know. So there's, I think we've got a lot of work to do. I agree. I agree. And I think I'm going to leave it on that note, Jim. Uh, two things before we sign off here. Tell us about your book and how can people get a hold of that? Yeah, sure. The book is The Art of Conscious Communication for Thoughtful Men. Uh, it, it was written for men, but funnily enough, I'm getting emails from a lot of women around the world saying, thanks for writing that book. I learned a lot from that book, and I'm now trying to get my husband or brother <clears> or son <throat> to read it. And you can you can get that book anywhere that you get books, Amazon or Booktopia awesome. or wherever you buy your books, you can get that book. The audio book is, um, is very close. So yeah, that's, that's the book. Well, good. And then secondly, how can people get a hold of you directly if they're interested in making contact? You just reach out to me through the contact form on my website, gemfuller.com. And uh, the team will get that through to me and let's chat. I'm, I'm very accessible. I love talking about this sort of stuff. And I coach clients all around the world. So if you're, you're interested to find out more, just go through the website. Oh, that's great. And uh, one big thank you for sitting in and sharing this. Uh, I think it's been very insightful and really appreciate your time doing it. Yeah. And I want to say thank you back to you, Doug, for having me on your show. I, I appreciate you. You bet. You bet. Well, folks, uh, all of the reference points that uh, Jim just shared will be in the show notes. So if you... Um, have this uh, show on your pod player and uh, need to check out the links. They'll be in the show notes, so hop over there. And I do want to remind everybody, we <clears throat> will have this show in video form over on our channel and YouTube, a channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. You can jump over there, and that too has show notes in it that will have all the links and ready references. So um, please drop in over there, leave us some feedback, give us a comment, let us know what you're thinking. And if you've got ideas for other topics that you want us to uh, dive into, we'll be happy to do that. For now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and thank you very much for being a part. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.